From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Alaska lawmakers are running out of time this session to pass legislation aimed at resolving the annual debate over what size dividends should be paid to residents from the state's oil wealth fund. Legislative leaders have said they see resolving the divisive debate as critical, but lawmakers have yet to agree on what a new formula should look like or on what other elements should accompany it. A dividend bill in the Senate was bumped from the floor for further work Wednesday. Senate President Peter Machicki says it didn't have the votes to pass. Less than two weeks remain in the legislative session that began in January. The Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and People Awareness Day rally and march was held at the Capitol on Thursday. Dozens of attendees held up photos in remembrance of missing or murdered Alaskans during the event. Clinton and Haida Central Council First Vice President Jacqueline Peta spoke to the nearly 300 people gathered at the Capitol. She represented Tribal President Richard Peterson. I'm representing tonight President Peterson. He wanted for me to send his regrets. He really wanted to be here. But a family emergency came up and he needed to do what we would all do. Families first. Be there when somebody needs us. And that's what he chose to do. It was really important for him to have me share some messages with you. As we come here together to remember and remember those that are lost among us, those women, those children that are missing out of our communities, that created gaps in our families, gaps in our clans, and that have created pain in our heart. Beta added that those who have lost loved ones should hold up the joy of their memory. And Sears, the Alaska State Trooper's lead investigator for the Missing People's Initiative, said she is honored to be taking on the role. I spent 15 and a half years in rural communities, working in rural Alaska, and it was a privilege to work in rural Alaska. And I have felt like everything that I have done in my life, the 30 years of public service, my time as a state trooper, my growing up in Alaska, being the daughter of an indigenous woman, has all led to this moment. And I was honored to be asked to take on this job as an investigator. Sears said she is ready to hit the ground running and make partnerships that count in her investigations. Representative Sarah Hannon also addressed the crowd, saying, We will not let more children go missing. We will not let more women suffer under violence. We will not let our communities tear each other down. And My pain is secondary, and I am so sorry that we gather today, but I am so proud of all those young people out there who know they are holding each other up and in their generation, these statistics will not be there. Representative Andy Story also addressed the rally. I wanted to talk about just a few things that we have tried to do up here in this building. They are small steps, but I wanted to say that this year in both the House and the Senate there is an increase in the budget to add positions to address sexual assault, domestic violence, and missing, murdered indigenous persons. Story says with the hiring of Investigator Sears and other task force projects will make a big difference.
U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Holland wants to do more than just put a bandage on a crisis that she says has been decades in the making. Holland on Thursday announced the members of a commission that will craft recommendations on how the federal government can better tackle unsolved cases in which Native Americans and Alaska Natives have gone missing or have been killed. Holland blamed the disproportionately high number of such cases on a lack of urgency and coordination. The commission is expected to hold public hearings and gather testimony over the coming months. Meanwhile, some tribes and states have created their own response plans to address the problem. Police in Alaska's largest city are reaching out to the public to see if people can provide new leads in the disappearance nine years ago of a six-year-old boy. Deshaun McCormick's mother, Jasmine, says she last saw her son in the spring of 2013. She had moved out of state, and legal custody was with Deshaun's father, Floyd Lee Jr. He was later arrested, and law enforcement found no trace of the boy when she got legal custody of him through the courts. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children said Deshaun is biracial with blonde hair and brown eyes. He has a scar in the middle of his forehead. The Deputy Chief of Juneau Police fielded questions from the Juneau Chamber at their weekly luncheon. Deputy Chief David Campbell oversees the operations of the department. Campbell spoke on the department's radio infrastructure. Campbell said the system is aging. Our system is very old. It's analog. Um, almost nobody uses analog radios anymore. Um, we need to go digital, and that, so we need to replace all these things. Our current system went end of life in 2014. So we have been, we've been limping along ever since to, to keep it going. We don't know when it's going to fail. We really need to get it replaced before it fails. He said the situation has gotten so dire their technical staff have to go to eBay for spare parts when a piece of equipment fails. He said that about three years ago, an independent consultant evaluated their system, and the department chose to go forward with one of their recommendations. The one that they recommended and the one that we're recommending is the Almar system. It was the cheapest of the bunch. Even with it being cheap, it's $12 million, right? So it is expensive. Uh, we have a phased approach coming in on, what we're, on how we're going to phrase it over the next you know, three years. Um, the Assembly authorized $500,000 last week to get the ball rolling towards that. And Campbell stressed that they are not the only users of the system in Juneau. It's not just police radios. It's police. It's fire. It's the harbors. It's the airport. I, I don't think we need to look at it as a police radio system. It's really radio infrastructure for the entire city. And it's a, it's a huge deal. The Assembly last week approved $500,000 go towards the first stages of design and planning for the radio improvement project. According to Deputy City Manager Robert Barr, the Carnival Spirit, which is scheduled to arrive in Juneau tomorrow morning, disembarked more than 100 passengers infected with COVID in Seattle before resuming its trip north. Here's Barr on the KINY Morning Show with Dano. The big talk right now is the cruise ship that is housing over 100 people with COVID that is making its way here to Juneau. Now, do we know when that ship is going to be here? Yes. Yeah, so that's the, the ship that's been in the news is the Carnival Spirit that uh, scheduled to make a call on Saturday. Um, they, don't, they don't have 100 people with COVID on board anymore, though. So they, they turned most of their passengers around in Seattle. That, that particular cruise was... I think it started, I want to say, somewhere, probably Florida or Texas, came through the Panama Canal, and that cruise ended in Seattle. And then they, they um, as they 
commonly do aboard new passengers in Seattle for an Alaska cruise. Barr added that some crew are isolating on board. They do still have some crew that they are isolating that are positive, but they're, they're used to doing that now. Barr says the CDC is monitoring cruise lines and their COVID levels. And Barr says this is the main takeaway. I think the kind of high-level summary here is that uh, COVID is uh, present uh, throughout our community. Um, we are still averaging in the neighborhood of 16, 17 cases a day just locally, not, not counting whatever's happening on cruise ships. Um, and, of course, we know it's prevalent uh, in other areas of our country and throughout the world. Um, and so we can expect there to be some COVID aboard cruise ships, too. Really, the, the trick is to how we manage it and how, how cruise lines manage it uh, and how, how we communicate with them about it to make sure that, to the extent possible, it doesn't significantly detrimentally impact our healthcare system. Barr says the port agreement between the city and the cruise lines dictate how COVID is managed and mitigated. We largely have uh, pretty much the same or at least uh, substantially similar port agreements in place that we had with the lines last year. So those include things like uh, fully vaccinated cruises. So 95% or greater of all passengers and crew are, are fully vaccinated aboard vessels still. And they have flexible mitigation plans that they sort of flex up and flex down, not unlike how our community mitigation strategies used to work when we had those in place. And he added that there are some solid requirements for cruise lines in order to assist in reducing COVID numbers. Legislation affecting the state's Ocean Ranger program has sparked concerns from an advocacy group in Southeast who are calling for the program to remain and be reinstated so that the monitoring of cruise ship discharges can continue. That was the word from Aaron Brakel, Inside Passage Waters Program Manager at the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council, who spoke about Senate Bill 180 while a guest on Action Line. He said the Ocean Rangers program was approved by voters in 2006 to institute onboard trained monitors and environmental engineers to report what was happening onboard the cruise ships, whether it be safety or waste incidents. Brakel said the program has led to improved reporting. It's tremendously helpful to have Alaska uh, watchdogs on board. And what the program has done is it's led to significant improvements in the cruise ship self-reporting of, of, of discharges. And uh, just having, having oversight, it, it keeps the industry a little bit, you know, closer to towing the line uh, of, of the law on discharges. He said that in 2019, Governor Dunleavy requested the program be defunded, and in 2020 and 21, there were no Ocean Rangers aboard the ships. Brakel said the Ocean Ranger program would keep the industry accountable. It's an industry with um, uh, multiple felonies. Um, multiple cruise companies have, have uh, run up against the law inappropriately, um, and uh, in order to... Uh, you know, hold them to account for uh, what they're responsible for doing, we definitely need people on board the ships. And that's what the Ocean Ranger program did, and, and that's what we want it to, to continue to do or so, to be restored and do again. SB 180 most recently passed through the Senate Resources Committee in a 4-3 to three vote and was referred to the Senate Finance Committee. The Alaska legislature passed a concurrence on House Bill 85 on Thursday, with supporters saying it will modernize Alaska laws governing the state banking industry. The bill brings regulatory equality between nationally chartered banks and state chartered banks and increased regulatory efficiency. 
It was carried by Representative Bart LeBon of Fairbanks. Among the changes HB 85 makes is to help the operation of state chartered banks and includes allowing them to post notices of reports on their website instead of physically posting them in their lobby, and reducing the number of required meetings of a bank's board of directors from 10 per year to once quarterly. The Alaska State Senate voted 19-0 to zero to pass the bill on Monday. The bill now goes to Governor Dunleavy's desk for his signature. Attorney General Drake Taylor Wednesday secured $437,000 from the owner of TurboTax, Intuit Incorporated, for deceiving customers into paying for tax services that should have been free. As a result of an agreement across all 50 states, Intuit will pay $141 million in restitution to millions of consumers across the nation who were unfairly charged. More than 14,000 Alaskans will receive restitution payments. In addition, Intuit must suspend TurboTax's free, free, free ad campaign that lured customers with promises of free tax preparation services only to deceive them into paying for services. Consumers are expected to receive a direct payment of about $30 for each year that they were deceived into paying for filing services. Impacted consumers will automatically receive notices and a check by mail. Uh, we have met with Gold Belt, Mr. Scanlon and I, and we had a very good conversation. So I feel very, um, I feel very comfortable that a deal is achievable. That was a word from Juno City Manager Roy Watt during a special meeting of the Juno Assembly this week. He appraised members of the talks with the native corporation Gold Belt after they expressed interest in helping fund the project. We we talked through their general thoughts, um, and it really is. Uh, a purely economic deal that they're interested in. So I think there was some trepidation from uh, members of the public that there might be a control issue at Eagle Crest, and I don't foresee that to be a problem. Uh, I've also been in a lot of contact with the municipal attorney, uh, and he is uh, going to be using outside counsel who's worked on uh, complicated uh, public-private contracts that we've had uh, in the past, uh, so I think that's a really good resource. Uh, so I, I, I feel very optimistic uh, that a deal with Gold Belt is achievable. City Attorney Robert Palmer also spoke on the talks. We are well on our way to owning a gondola. And said the anticipated title transfer date is May 20th. It's close to a million dollars that we've spent to date on the gondola. And that's because after the last, I believe it was committed the whole meeting in early April, uh, our city engineer, city engineer, ski area manager, and a contract uh, engineer went over, inspected the gondola. It, uh, my understanding is that uh, it was exactly as was described, in good, good to great condition, and it's on its way to being disassembled for loading. And the target date for the CBJ to get title is May 20th. But on Wednesday, the body met to approve additional funding towards the gondola in light of the potential of higher shipping costs. It was initially estimated to be 400000 to transport the ski lift from Austria, but the city manager said the potential lowest bid is nearly $850,000, and the other bid is nearly $1,120,000. Assemblymember Alicia Hughes-Scandy spoke against any additional funding. We've had several conversations about the gondola as a whole, as a larger topic. I voted against the purchase of the gondola. I feel like it's a bad um, route for the city to go. I 
further feel that it was a bad process that we followed. Ultimately, the additional 500000 in funding was approved 5-2 to two with members Hugh Scandies and Carol Treem voting against. In addition, members unanimously approved a bid award for shipping the gondola. The city had received a bid from Linden Logistics for $845,000. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo announced Thursday the allocation of $144 million to a number of states, including Alaska, that suffered fishery disasters between 2018 and 2021. That disaster announcement includes the 2018 Upper Cook Inlet East Side Net and 2020 Upper Cook Inlet Salmon Fisheries, the 2018 Copper River Chinook and Sockeye Salmon Fisheries, 2020 Prince William Sound Salmon Fisheries, 2020 Copper River Chinook, Sockeye, and Chum Salmon Fisheries, the 2019-2020 Eastern Bering Sea Tanner Crab Fishery, the 2020 Pacific Cod Fishery in the Gulf of Alaska, the 2020 Southeast Alaska Salmon Fishery, and the 2021 Yukon River Salmon Fishery. Meanwhile, the Alaska Department of Commerce has announced an updated deadline for the Alaska Seafood Processors Pandemic Response Relief Program. The department is extending the deadline to apply to May 20th. All other program criteria remains the same. The Seafood Processors Relief Program is a grant program to distribute $30 million to Alaska's seafood and shellfish processing sector. This is not a first-come, first-served grant opportunity. Award amounts will be determined after all applications have been received and evaluated on demonstrated need. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Atlin.